0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As I stated at the start of the service, we are beginning a new sermon series called We Are Witnesses. And we know what a witness does. It it, it just reflects what they've seen, what, what they've heard, what they know. And that's what God's word is to us. Throughout scripture, Jesus left no doubt about who he was. The authority with which he taught The works, the miracles that he was able to do prove that he was the Son of God, exactly what he claimed to be. And we have the privilege of seeing the accounts, eyewitness accounts written down in Scripture to demonstrate to us that that same power of God is at work in our lives. I thought about the obsession, maybe that's a little strong, that many people in our world today have with superheroes. Maybe it's because we'd like to see some of the superpowers in our own life and so I decided just to type into my Google search bar this week, what is my superpower? And I came up with this personality test. Anybody taken the personality test? What is my superhero, superpower? Okay, you're all going to go home and Google it and figure out what your superpower is. The question I took was a personality test, 20 questions long, and well, I finished and they gave me my superpower and... I was going to make you guess what my superpower was, but that's a little unfair. Can I be honest with you? The, I was looking for two. I wanted, like, super speed or super strength. I didn't get either one. No ability to fly. None of that was my superpower. My superpower, according to this personality test, was healing. Can I read you the description that they gave me of my superpower? Keep in mind, this is a personality test. This in no way reflects the person who's actually reading this. But here's what it said. You are a kind and caring person. Your real-life power is being a defender. People feel safe around you because you always try to protect them. That's why we think healing is the best superpower match for you. This is my favorite part. When it comes to your superhero suit, we believe that you would prefer a long white uniform with a a matching masquerade ball mask. Should I have shown up that way this morning? That might have been okay, right? But then I got confused. Some superheroes with healing powers are Healer from the X-Men. That one didn't surprise me. The Scarlet Witch and Black Tarantula. Never heard of either one of those. But there you go. That's me, apparently. That's my superpower. There is kind of a, a, a draw to that, right? You, you want to see, well, what, what would my superpower be if I had one? But, but here's the the beauty of the Word of God that's before us today. We don't need one. We don't need a superpower because we're ordinary human beings in the hands of an extraordinary God. That's what we get to see in Jesus in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 today. We again get to be witnesses of his miraculous power. As we walk through this miracle, as Matthew records it, let's note a couple of things. First of all, that Jesus knows our needs. And then secondly, that he satisfies those needs. Take a look at how Matthew begins the report of the miracle in in the first couple verses of our text. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When Jesus heard what had happened, The text begins. And what had happened was John the Baptist's death had just been reported to Jesus. Do you remember how that all came about? John had called King Herod's choices of his lifestyle into question and it cost John his life. He was actually beheaded by King Herod. You can imagine that that was not a happy day for Jesus and his disciples, some of whom had been John the Baptist's followers. And so Jesus decides he's going to take his disciples to a quiet place, a solitary place. It made me think back to my childhood and my time as a parent as well because I passed it along to my children. We had quiet time too. When our kids were maybe a little misbehaving or not being and doing the things they were supposed to, they sometimes got sent to their rooms for half an hour, 45 minutes, and we called it quiet time. They didn't like quiet time. Maybe you had a similar experience. But the older I get, the more I realize why Jesus did what he did. There's so many things that are overstimulating in this life that to be able to, like Jesus, just take some time to step back, to reflect, to pray, to meditate on the promises of God, has extreme value. And Jesus wanted that for himself and his disciples, but it didn't really work out the way he was hoping. He's on a boat headed to a solitary place, and when the boat lands, what's there to greet him but a large crowd that has followed him, waiting to see what Jesus will do next? And I suppose if you're Jesus and you're you're trying to get away to a quiet place, we could understand if Jesus was a little annoyed. Because now all of these people are there, and it's not just a few people, as we discover before the end of the miracle. But Jesus wasn't frustrated, he wasn't annoyed. As a matter of fact, the text tells us quite plainly that he had compassion on them. I love that word in the original Greek. It is, the word, the root word is splankna, And it has to do with your insides, your guts. Like you feel it deep down. This is a tenderness that Jesus had. We might say today he had a heart for the people that were waiting for him when he landed on that shore. And Jesus' heart for them extended more than to just something that he felt for them. He did something about it. He's healing. He healed their sick. People brought all manner of problems to him and he took care of their needs. I thought about that this week because I think each one of us would probably want to be called kind. If people thought about us, they would say, yep, that's a kind person. And I don't know who came up with this, but I found it this week, the kindometer. And made me feel a little guilty, I'll be honest, because as much as I try to be kind, there are times when I get possessive of my time, possessive of my resources, and my kindness kind of runs into a limit. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Sometimes I'm protective maybe even fiercely protective of myself, my time, my resources, and my kindness kind of runs short. It doesn't come naturally to to us, does it, to be kind to others? And so as we look at Jesus here, having his quiet time interrupted and then still having this compassion for people, it's a tremendous example for us. And Jesus is often an example for us. But can I take it one step further? Jesus' kindness to these people wasn't simply to be an example to you and me. This was Jesus living in our place. This was Jesus being kind for us. This was Jesus having compassion so that he could cover all of our sins. He lived the perfect life. This is Jesus' active obedience in our place, living under God's law for you and for me. And what Jesus wants is that love that he has for us to go through us and then be shown to others and have our compassion spill out for other people. The healing that Jesus did one need was met. But it wasn't the only need the people were going to have that day. Listen to how Matthew reports it. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Again, the problem wasn't too difficult to diagnose. The disciples were the ones first who said, Wait a minute, these people have been here all day. It's evening. They have nothing to eat. Jesus, you have to do something. Send them off to the towns. Make sure that they can eat. There's no way that we can feed them. The need was obvious. But Jesus tells his disciples something interesting. He says, no, you don't have to send them to the towns. You give them something to eat. Can you imagine what the disciples thought? What is he talking about? How are we supposed to give all of these people something to eat? This miracle and this test that Jesus has for his disciples is spelled out really in some of the other Gospels a little bit more fully. Did did you know that the feeding of the 5,000 is the one miracle in Scripture of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this one miracle of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. And in John's Gospel particularly, we learn that when Jesus challenges his disciples to give them something to eat, it's Philip who comes to Jesus and says, Listen, Jesus, Eight months' wages, couldn't buy enough food for all of these people to eat. The disciples were at a crossroads. Jesus had told them, you give them something to eat and they had nothing. Well, well, the disciples discovered they did have some meager provisions. They found five loaves and two fish. But the question they asked Jesus in one of the other Gospels was this, how far will that go among so many? There's a lesson that Jesus wanted the disciples to learn here. And it shouldn't have been that hard for them to learn, at least at first glance. They'd seen Jesus' other miracles. They knew what he could do, and yet they failed, didn't they? They failed to recognize the solution that was standing right in front of them because they couldn't come up with their own solution. Again, Jesus is going to be the provider of all things. But before we're too critical of the disciples, Maybe we need to ask ourselves the question, what if? What if we were in the disciples' shoes? Would we have reacted the same way? Or maybe I could ask it this way. Every time we worry, every time we're anxious, every time we're not sure if God knows what he's doing in our lives, aren't we doing the exact same thing as the disciples? Failing to trust that we have an all-powerful and mighty God who's in control of all things, That there is no need for us to worry because our lives are in the hands of someone who's far more powerful than us? Oh, you might say, but, but if, if we had seen Jesus' miracles, if we had been there to watch Jesus do all of those things, then maybe, maybe, but I don't think we would have been too much different than the disciples. Remember, the disciples didn't have the full picture. They didn't know fully why Jesus had come yet. Jesus had not gone to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. He had not risen from the dead. The disciples were still operating under this idea that maybe, maybe there was an earthly king who was coming to rescue them. You and I know. We know his love. We know what Jesus came to this earth to do. We get to witness it as we read the pages of Scripture that Jesus was willing to go to a cross for your sins and mine. Jesus looked as powerless as he could possibly have looked. And yet in his powerlessness on the cross, he was displaying the power of God to forgive, to grant us holiness and righteousness that we need to stand before him. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He met our greatest need. Jesus met that greatest need and satisfied it to know that we have righteousness before our Heavenly Father. Jesus was willing to satisfy God's justice with his life on the cross and at the same time display God's love because that punishment that was visited upon Jesus means that we are forgiven and free from sin. It's amazing to think about. Let's go back to the miracle for a moment and I want you, as I, li- as I read these words, just to, to marvel at the simplicity which with, Ma- which, with which Matthew accounts for the miracle. He says this, Taking the five loaves and then the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Maybe one brief lesson that Jesus teaches us again in this miracle. Here's the Son of God about to perform an amazing miracle, and yet before he does it, he stops to give thanks. Before he breaks the bread and distributes it, he gives thanks to God, recognizing him as the source of every blessing. We know that's true in our lives too. Everything that we have, everything that we own, it's all from God. They're all gifts of our Heavenly Father, our daily bread, and everything that we have, we want to give him thanks for. And then the miracle happened. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I've wondered for a long time now, when did the disciples know that the miracle was happening? Jesus broke the bread, gave it to the disciples. The disciples started to distribute it to the people. At what point did they say, this shouldn't be happening? We shouldn't be able to give more bread to people. We saw what was there and now everyone is eating. And that's how the gospel reports that They ate. They ate everyone. Jesus had them, according to the other gospels, sit in groups of 50 and 100. Maybe that made it easier to count them at the end. But it wasn't just a little bit that they ate. The Bible makes very clear that they ate until they were satisfied. This was a full meal that everybody got to eat. Nobody went home hungry. Again, what a beautiful picture of the amazing power of God. But then God takes it one step further. He underscores the miracle, puts the exclamation point on it by having the disciples collect the leftovers. And they go and collect the leftovers and they come back with 12 basketfuls of broken pieces, more than what they started with. Again, the amazing power of God. And then Matthew tells us, it was 5,000. 5,000 men besides women and children. So I thought to myself, well, how many people do you think that is? 10, 15,000, maybe a little bit more? And I thought, well, what can I relate that to? And then I thought, oh, there's a building about six blocks from here that seats about 15,000 people. It's called the coal Center. Can you imagine standing at midcourt of the coal Center with five loaves of bread in your one hand and two fish in the other and looking around and saying, that should, that should do it. No way. And then the leftovers on top of it. God wants us to see how miraculously God can provide for us and does provide for us. You see, with every miracle, there's, a, there's an additional lesson. When we see the power of Jesus, Jesus also wants to see that he's satisfied a much greater need. It's not just our physical needs that he's concerned about. He's concerned about both the needs that we have for this life, but even more for the needs that we have for the life that is to come. And that's why Jesus came to this world. I want to talk to you just briefly about that word satisfied and I was trying to relate it to something and the best I could come up with is one of my favorite cartoon characters of all time, Winnie the Pooh. Most of you, I'm sure, have seen some Winnie the Pooh. He's on a daily and lifelong quest to get as much honey as he can possibly get, right? And then when he gets the honey and he eats to his full and you always get, you know, he's rubbing his tummy and all happy and satisfied. Do you know that that's actually the thought behind the word That is in Matthew chapter 14. It was originally used for fattening calves, cattle, and for giving them their fill. And that's what God wants you and I to have. If you've ever had a meal, maybe Thanksgiving or something else, where you're sitting at the meal and you finish the meal, and it was so good, you just want to kind of drop your napkin and push yourself away from the table, that's satisfied. That's what God wants for you. And that's what he's provided for you in Jesus. The satisfaction that you stand before him holy and blameless because Jesus has given us everything that we need. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, God does not forget about us. He has a heart for each one of us just as Jesus did for the crowds that followed him. Psalmist says says it this way, As a father has compassion on his children, so great is the compassion the Lord has for those who fear him. Number two, our Savior showed he knows our needs and has the power to meet those needs. As Jesus is talking in his Sermon on the Mount about worry, he says this So do not worry, asking, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Number three, the blessings of Jesus satisfy both for this life and especially forever in heaven. Moses, in Psalm 90, said it this way, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we can worship you all our days. Just a note about the aftermath of this miracle. In the Gospel of John, we find out that the people wanted to make Jesus king by force. It's almost as if they looked at Jesus and said, this is what we were waiting for. The guy that could just supply every need that we have. And maybe we fall into that trap too, where we see Jesus as some sort of godly or divine vending machine. That if we push the right buttons and ask just the right questions, that Jesus will give us everything we want. And he might. He might give us all the physical blessings that we want to enjoy in this life. But one thing you can count on, one thing God promises you beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that is that you have a feast. A feast for your soul. In the aftermath of the miracle, Jesus said this about himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry. It wasn't food, physical food that Jesus was talking about. He was talking about our faith in him and what it means for us. It means that spiritually we are satisfied, that our hunger is taken care of and the joy of eternity waits for us. That's the extraordinary power of our God. His miraculous power that means for you and me an eternity of satisfaction with him. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.